Hi, and welcome to the Willow Ridge Church Weekly Podcast. This is where you can find audio for our current and past sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's installment, and be sure to check back next week to hear the latest message. Thanks for listening. Glad you guys are here with us today. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Galatians chapter 2. So we're going to continue on in our study uh, this morning. So we've been in Galatians for the last couple of weeks, and what we've gotten out of the first week and last week is we, we kind of walked into Paul's welcome as he greets uh, the church at Galatia, as he welcomes them in this letter, and then Paul does something that kind, of, kind of neat or kind of different than what we're maybe used to, is that Paul begins to go through almost this section of his autobiography. And what we saw last week was kind of the first part of that. And in the first two weeks, what, what we kind of lay the truths that are going to continue to ring out each and every week of what we study is that the gospel is how we enter into the kingdom. There's going to be this debate of what's going on within the power and the working of what Paul is doing, what Paul's challenging the church with through the power of God. And what he's going to focus in on is the understanding of the gospel. And that in the gospel, what we see, in the gospel, what we experience is the gospel is how we enter into the kingdom. And that it is the gospel and the gospel alone, that is through Christ and through Christ alone, that is in the work of the cross and the cross alone. It's because the tomb is empty. Through all of these things is how we enter into the kingdom, that it is Jesus Christ alone who saves And that's the first foundational truth that we have. But then he doesn't just leave there. He continues on about more of the gospel, that not only the gospel is how we enter into the kingdom, but that the gospel is how we live as a part of the kingdom. And here's the important part for us, for you and I that are believers. Many of you in here have been believers for 20, 30, 40 years, or whether you've been a believer for for five years or five days or for five minutes. That the gospel is still needed by all of us who are saints, all of us who were saved, all of us who have been redeemed. That the gospel is how we live as a part of the kingdom. That the gospel sets the standard, the authority in our life, and we live our life as the Spirit of God transforms us out of the truth that comes from the gospel. So what we establish and what we work with is who needs the gospel? Everyone. Not just to save them but as a part of their lives of who they are. And so Paul wants an accurate understanding of what the gospel is for the people of Galatia, both to be saved and how to live. And then Paul goes into the first part of his autobiography as Paul begins to talk about the transforming work of what the gospel did in his life as a lost person. And then the authority of what the gospel establishes in his life as he is now Paul the Apostle. And it's amazing, transforming work of what we see. And what we see in that is the power of the work of what the gospel does. That Paul, when he was saved, was saved. And in that, a transformation begins to happen and take place. That he is no longer Saul, who he was before. But as he shares the power of his story, which is rooted in the power of the gospel, we see that the gospel doesn't simply change us, but it transforms us. An interesting thing that it does is it takes what was old and it makes it new. It takes what was dead and makes it alive again. 
So it's not that Paul's changed. It's that Paul's been transformed. And so that story rings true for him and for everyone who's ever been saved and everyone who will ever be saved. That there's a transforming work that happens and takes place within inside of us through the power of the gospel. And so we looked at last week the power of the story and we walked away and I got a lot of encouraging comments back from you guys in this. And I hope that this story rings true. That is as shocking as Paul's story was, that the power that existed in his story is the same power that exists in my story, the same power that exists in your story. Coming to Christ, our stories may be different. Some may be more quote-unquote boring. Some may be more provocative. But in all of those things, the power of the gospel saved what was lost, saved what was old, saved what was dead, and made it found, made it new, and made it alive again. So we walk out of here with the encouragement that this, yes, there's power in Paul's story, but there's power in your story, and in your story, and in your story. When it's the power of the gospel that saves. And so this morning, Paul kind of continues on in this autobiographical story as he lays the foundation for the church of Galatia of what the gospel does. And so let's continue reading, starting in chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation And set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential. He's talking about the other apostles here. The gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles. In order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So what in the world is going on here? So there's a gap in time in this biography that Paul's sharing. And he's talking about an event from where we left off last week to the event that he shares that happens 14 years later. And Paul comes to Jerusalem and he appears before what is known as the Jerusalem Council. It's the other apostles who are there. And he brings with him Barnabas and Titus. 
And it's going to be an interesting piece that we understand specifically that he brought Titus with him to this meeting. As this meeting was largely, if not solely, filled with Jewish Christians who had converted. But Titus comes. Titus is a Gentile. Titus is the one who had not observed the law. Titus is the one who had not embraced the culture. Titus as the one who physically and everything that he had been doing continued to be Gentile outside of being saved by the work of Christ and being transformed by the power of the gospel. And so this is what we see come into this meeting. So for what reason did they go? Well, in verse 2, it says that he came as of a revelation from God to make sure that Paul was not running or working in vain. To make sure that the work that he was doing, not that he needed their permission, not that he needed their authority, but to make sure that the gospel work that was happening, not just in Paul's ministry as he was called to the Gentiles, but was also the gospel that was working as Peter took the gospel and took it to the Jews. And that the work that they had was remaining the same. So why in the world, in the story of all of this, as Paul is laying out this letter to the church at Galatia, why is this so important with them? It's because Paul knew that what Paul was teaching was the true gospel. And Paul's addressing the hearts of the leaders and the members of the Jewish Christians at the church of Galatia as they've come in and they've tried to adapt away from the gospel to where they say this, that if Gentiles are going to become Christians, then it's not just enough to be Christians, but that you must be Jewish Christians, specifically speaking concerning the law of circumcision. So if you're going to get saved then this is what you must do. Do you see what begins to happen here? That the gospel isn't enough. That the gospel is not what saves you. That what saves you is who you are, what's not what saves or what you are doing and not what's being done in you. That the power of the gospel is not enough. And so Paul goes to him and says this. Look, here's what you gotta understand. The gospel that I share the gospel that I proclaim to you, which is not the gospel you are teaching, is the gospel that's accepted, is the gospel that's being taught. That just as God revealed it to me, that God revealed it to Peter and all of the apostles in the Jerusalem council, that this is the authority in which we reign in, in which we rule in, in which we live in. Paul's telling him, like, look, what I'm about to tell you, it's true. Not because I say so, but because God says so. Because there's men like Titus who were different than us, but who has been transformed by the power of the work of God. And it's so important that we all teach the same gospel. Church, there are things in this church that we're going to disagree on. There are convictions that God grants us in how we live our life and the things that we do. 
Their denominational issues, when we look between a church like us, who's Baptist and a Methodist church or a Presbyterian church or a Pentecostal church, that are going to be different. And guess what? That's okay. On some of those things, if we stand before God one day, we'll find out where some of us were right, where some of us were wrong. But what must be central in order for a church to be a church is found in what the gospel is in the proclamation of that gospel. So that's what we want to center in on. So what's some things that we can glean from this passage of Scripture? What can the church at Galatia glean from this passage of Scripture? Well, there are two things that I want to focus in on this morning. And the first one is this. Is it what I do or what I am? This is an important part for us to to dive into and to have some perspective of who we are in what saved us, and in the reality of how we live our lives. Is it what I do, or is it what I am? I love what Paul does here. I'm going to kind of take a side note back to last week. Paul continues on in his story. Paul continues on in the authority of what God's called him to do as he lays it out in front of the church before him, as he appeals to them. Notice, he doesn't immediately go into a theological argument. What Paul does is Paul continues in on telling his story. This ties back to last week, church. There is so much that is in your story that people can argue with. There's so much power that's in your story as a result of what God's done. There's so much authority in your story as we go through where you have the opportunity to share about the transforming power of the gospel, not through what you've learned, not through what you've been taught, not through what you've heard someone else talk about, but as a follower of Christ through what you have experienced through what you've been transformed through, and through what God has used in your life. Paul goes all the way back to the details of a meeting to say this, watch what God does. But here's what we got to be careful of. So many of us, when we talk about our story, we think only back to what God did in the moment of salvation. But what Paul brings into his story is not just what God did, but what God's doing. And I think that's where the rubber meets the road for so many of us. That when we talk about what our Jesus story is, we can look back to what God did five years, 10 years, 15 years, 30 years ago when he saved us. But the power of the story is not just what happened years and decades ago, but what is happening right now. And that's the litmus test for us. Is God transforming you now? Can you point toward what God is doing? Can you use what life has cast out as God molds you and shapes you into what he has for you to be? And this is what he does. And the important part here, going back to his story of, of is it what I do or is it what I am, is that Paul talks about what happens in the Jerusalem council is the acceptance of Titus. And the council accepted him. Why? Why did they accept him? It's not based off of their standards, but it's based off the standards set by God. And they said in verse 6 that God shows no partiality. 
here confirmed in this moment by Paul and the apostles to the church of Galatia is this, that, that Titus is accepted, not because of what he has done, but Titus is accepted because of who he now is in light of the cross. Tim Keller said this in his commentary on Galatians. He said, externalities are to do with our doing, but internalities have to do with our being. And Christianity is about who I am in Christ, not what I do for him. Love the power of the truth of that. You see, when the focus is what I do for Christ, then I am at the center of my faith. But when the focus is on Christ and who he is and who I am in him, in him, then it's Jesus. What makes you acceptable before God? What makes anyone acceptable before God? The biblical truth of what makes anyone accepted before God is perfection. Perfection is what gives us the right to be before God. Not mostly perfect, not partially perfect, not sometimes perfect, but fully perfect. And so in Christ, what we find is total perfection, not in our works, but total perfection in Christ. And what God gives us in the law is to show us that when we line up the Ten Commandments, when we line that up in our life and we have that step back realization is that we haven't just mildly disobeyed these, but at our heart, yours and mine, we've destroyed these. And so what Jesus comes to do is so that we are found in him that we are made perfect in him. So that in Christ, it's not that the law is abolished. But for us, what we find in Christ is that the law is fulfilled. And here's the danger of how this practically plays out in our life. When we're found not in Christ, but we seek to find ourselves in what we do for him, is that many of us live every single day trying to earn the love of God. And the reality is that when we do this, we live in a posture, we live in a mindset, we live in a life that says this, if I don't do this, then God won't love me. And we live in a sense of guilt. We live in a sense of shame. We live in a sense of spiritual abuse because we've connected God's love for us and our ability to appease him when we seek to earn the love of God. Another way that that transforms for us in an equally destructive but opposite manner is many of us live thinking because of the things we do, now we deserve the love of God. And in that moment, it ceases to be grace. In that moment, we cease to present ourselves before him. And so we live our life because I do this, then God must love me. And in both of those, the transformation, the change of who we are is not found in him, but it's found in us. It's found in us. Church, the hope of the gospel doesn't say that I'm good enough. 
The hope of the gospel says, because I'm not good enough, he is. The hope of the gospel says that I'll never do anything in order to be loved, but simply, in spite of all that I've ever done, I am loved. We think about life with a parent and a kid. <laughs> we were sitting around joking and having a conversation at the table last night. And I looked at my daughter. She's not in here this morning. I said, girl, you're pressing me, right? I said, I'll always love you, but right now I'm not liking you a whole bunch, right? And she started dying laughing and came over and gave me a kiss and said, do you like me now? And I said, yes, I do, sweetie, right? But when we think about that, the unconditional love of what's there, look at your past of what you've done. Look at your present of what you're doing. And think about what you're capable of in the future. And nothing, nothing that you could ever do, nothing that you've ever done, or nothing that you were doing can ever separate you from or make God love you more. It's just who he is. And what we find from this the fruit that this begins to bring out in our life, which is going to be a huge focal point of the book of Galatians, is that the gospel brings with it freedom. The gospel brings with it freedom. Now, let's explain this really quickly. Another conversation that we had the other day, my daughter said, we live in a free country, don't we? And I said, yes, sweetie, we absolutely do. She said, so does that mean then that I can do anything I want to do? And I said, well, let me explain something about the country you live in. There is great freedom, but this house that you live in is a dictatorship, right? And me and your mama run it. (laughs) So this is how this is going to be. But there is, there's great freedom. But we've confused freedom oftentimes with meaning that we get to do whatever we want to do. And we know that that's not freedom. In fact, that's the opposite. Many times that's what enslavement would look like as sin controls. But the gospel that we know brings freedom. So what is that freedom? What does this look like? What is Paul pushing toward when he talks about the threat that comes up in verse 4? Let me reread this to you. He says, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out or to bring out or to take away our freedom that we have in Christ so they might bring us into slavery. So Paul says this, that there are those that are imparting things on you to remove you from the freedom that we have in Christ. And over the next weeks, we are going to talk about what this freedom looks like, but we see two instances in this passage of Scripture that point us to the freedom in the gospel. The first freedom that we see is this, is that the gospel brings cultural freedom. The gospel brings cultural cultural freedom. In my life, God has given me the opportunity to share the gospel in many different places, in many different settings, and praise God, he's given me the opportunity to do it in, in many different cultures. The first place that I ever shared the gospel as a follower of Jesus Christ was in North Charleston in a housing project to, for, at a place that was foreign to me, even though it was an hour and a half away from my home. I sat there on the front porch with a man who just the day before had gotten out of prison for armed robbery. Shared the gospel with him. 
Later on, my first year in ministry, God gave me the opportunity to go into tribal villages in rural Zimbabwe where people worship their ancestors and share the gospel. God has allowed me to go into poverty-stricken Haiti where voodoo is accepted by many, even amongst some who claim to be Christians, and allow me the opportunity to share the gospel. God has allowed me at a very special time to go to the country of Bolivia at a conference that was being placed for, for parents whose kids had special needs. And in the entire country of Bolivia at that point in time, specifically that these families were families with kids with autism. And there are five professionals in 2009, five professionals in the entire country of Bolivia that worked with kids with autism. And the churches didn't want them. The schools didn't want them, and the government didn't want them. And God gave us the opportunity to go in and tell them that they were loved and that they were valued and their kids were loved and their kids were valued, and God gave us the opportunity to share the gospel. Completely foreign and different from the culture that I was in. God gave me the opportunity to go to Taiwan and to meet in a church that was very similar to the church at Galatia, where the people there battled with legalism to share the gospel. And then recently, had the opportunity this past year to go to India, where so many men and women and children had submitted themselves to a false religion, to a lie, and God gave us an opportunity to share the gospel. You see, the truth of the gospel the freedom that comes from the gospel is this. Whether I'm sharing the gospel in Lexington, South Carolina, or in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, whether I'm sharing the gospel in North Augusta, South Carolina, where I'm from, or in Jaipur, India, whether I'm sharing the gospel in New York City or North Charleston, the gospel doesn't change. It's the exact same from culture to culture. It's the work of Christ. It may be taken through a translator. My illustration may have to be through soccer, not football. But the gospel doesn't change. Church, and there's freedom that comes from that. I don't have to worry if I'm sitting down from, with someone who just walked out of prison or a Bible study. The gospel remains true, and there's freedom in that. There's freedom in that, the power of the gospel. But then secondly, what we see is the gospel brings emotional freedom. Paul talked about earlier about, uh, about this, that I may run this race, that I may do all of this in vain. And what I began to get the imagery of with this is the picture of a treadmill, right? Now, I don't know about you, but I've been trying to, with this new year, uh, my boy Robbie Gimmel's in here, Robert. Robert's been trying to help me stay on track with getting fit and healthy, and he takes me out, and we mountain bike ride together, and he makes me want to die midway through it, and then just put, every time you go mountain biking with Robbie, Robbie says, oh, not too much farther, right? And then we just have to keep going, right? And we don't know how much too far there is. But I've been trying to get back in shape, 
And we've got a treadmill at our house. And so what I do every so often is I get on the treadmill, and I hate running on the treadmill. So my wife said, if you hate running on the treadmill, why don't you run outside? And I said, because I hate that more, right? <laughs> I just hate running. But I run on the treadmill. And here's what I figured out about the treadmill that I like. I like the fact that it's cold, if it's cold outside, it's warm inside, right? I like the fact that if it's raining outside, it's dry inside. But what I hate about the treadmill is this. I feel like I'm not getting anywhere. I feel like the whole time I'm just staring at the wall in my bedroom as I'm running on the treadmill. I don't feel at the end of it that I've accomplished anything other than the fact that I'm dripping buckets of sweat. Paul talks about the fact that in slavery, what happens is this. It's the burden of what begins to happen that when we submit ourselves to the slavery, that spiritually speaking, we feel like we're exerting all of this energy, but yet spiritually speaking, we're not getting anywhere because we're living to what has enslaved us. That we're living to what holds us back. And that what the gospel does is the gospel brings us emotional freedom. The gospel gives us the opportunity to say that Christ has set me free from my past. That Christ has set me free from my present. That even, praise God, that right now, He set me free from things that want to enslave me in my future. And so that my journey with him is not on a treadmill. It's not on work that won't get me to where I long to go. But instead, what the gospel does is it pushes me farther and farther along the path. So the scenery changes and the end changes. Do you know what's not on a treadmill? A finish line. It's not. Maybe that'd make me feel better about it, right? There's no finish line on the treadmill. But when Paul talks about this life, he talks about the finish. And he talks about when that day comes and when God calls us home, that we've finished the race that's set before us. When you're bound emotionally, to your sin, when you're enslaved to what you've done, you can't run the race. Church, it's time we get off the treadmill and we get in the race that God has lined up for us. Now, Paul's going to talk about this. It doesn't mean that now we just get to do whatever we want. But instead, there's great implications of the law and what God has saved us for. But now what we live in is we live in no longer a system of slavery, but now we live in a system of salvation. Now we live in a system of hope. Now we live in a system of joy so that we can run the race that God has set before us for his glory, and for his name. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your power and for your work. Lord, we thank you for what you've done through the hope of the gospel. Lord, we thank you that the gospel that comes, that the gospel brings freedom. 
Lord, to set us free. The hope that we have is not found in who we are or what we've done, but it is found in who you are, Lord, and what you've done. So that, Lord, we rest in that we are in Christ. And if we are in Christ, we are a new creation being transformed and being made new by the power of your Spirit. Lord, as we go into a time of response, Lord, speak to our hearts. Lord, may we ask the question, do I find myself living in what I've done or in who I am? of who you've made me to be. With every head bowed and every eye closed, is your faith found in you or is it found in Christ? Do you stand before God with your list of things that you've done to justify you? Or do you stand before God being justified being made new by the work, the power of Christ. Every sin paid for, being set free. Lord, we ask that you work in the hearts of people, that you draw them to you. Thanks again for listening to the Willow Ridge Church weekly podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this week's message. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or explore additional resources, visit us online at www.willowridgechurch.com or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook and Instagram.